Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jenny Abamu, your co-host, and you'll be excited to know we have some firecrackers on the podcast today. On October 16th, 2014, Makoto Rich, a reporter for the New York Times, wrote a piece about John Daisy's resignation from the L.A. School District superintendent position. Quoting the Green Dot Charter School founder, Steve Barr, Rich wrote, The bitterness that had developed between Mr. Daisy and his critics impeded healthy discussion. The question, he said, is can we actually move forward without the extremes dominating the debate? Well, this year, Mr. Daisy is moving forward and trying to organize the way debates about education reform occur as editor-in-chief of the new publication, The Line, funded by Frontline, a software company for K-12 schools. We will have a conversation about what inspired Frontline to create an education publication and why Daisy took up the job as his editor-in-chief. The second issue of The Line, released earlier this month, features some education heavy hitters, including former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, National Education Association President Lily Garcia, and conservative think tank writer Rick Hess, debating the polarizing topic, school choice. It has brought both John Deasy and Frontline Research Learning Institute CEO Tim Clifford to the podcast. Welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. So I'm going to start by asking you all to tell me a little bit about the line. How did this come about? What are the discussions that you all are planning to have on this platform? But Tim, why don't you go first as we, uh, yeah. as we celebrate our actually our second issue just got released? Yes, yes, and a very exciting time for us. So at Frontline Education, um, we, uh, uh, we view our mission as being a partner to the education community. We bring both technology and, more importantly, insights um, to educators and administrators across the country. And um, we formed the Frontline Research and Learning Institute uh, about a year and a half ago uh, to really mine the data um, that we have uh, that comes across our servers every day and give the insights back to the education community. Um, uh, I don't think the education community has, has had the type of insight in terms of what goes on in the districts, at least in terms of the timeliness um, that we can provide these insights and marry up. Um, you know, data across different functions, whether it be substitute management or professional development, teacher evaluation, special education. And so we can, we can string these different pieces of information together and bring them up in, in dashboards um, uh, for, for administrators and educators to make, you know, more immediate and informed decisions and also to create discussion um, in the education community. And so as we moved into this realm of, of, of data, in the very early days of, of forming the Research and Learning Institute, um, you know, we said that we really needed to find uh, some, some very serious, dedicated uh, educators who could help us, you know, try to understand the data, but also to move beyond just the data and try to find a way to, um, you know, to, 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 again, to, to help uh, spark the conversation in the community and so um, I met John Dacey through an introduction by a, a friend, and uh, John and I sat down, and I would say in the first meeting that we had, uh, it was pretty electric in terms of um, a, a, a common 
um, uh, bond uh, and a commitment to education and trying to improve education. And from there, I'll let John take it in terms of how the conversation evolved and how it how it turned into the line. Yeah, thank you. This is uh, John. I think the conversation very much evolved with the thinking, um, as you said at the very top of of the introduction to the podcast. I really have and had grown really worrisome about the tone of of uh, dialogue um, in the sector of education and social justice writ, writ large. Um, not just from my own experience, but from watching colleagues and watching, you know, seeming inability in the entire country to actually engage in productive conflict and civil discourse. And so I talked about that with Tim, and we talked about specific examples about what's actually being lost in the ability to really move forward the very needed agenda of supporting uh, millions of young people in this country when we can't seem to wrestle um, uh, even with facts um, in a in a civil way, and so out of that conversation, we were committed to to try and create a venue and a different form of venue in a very different form of publication that's really dedicated to the proposition that um, really great ideas and good learning um, uh, withers uh, without civil discourse, um, and we set about launching. Our first issue, which came out uh, about a year ago, our second issue, as you just mentioned, just came out, and uh, I'm extremely pleased with the weight of the topics we're dealing with and how we're dealing with them. Okay, so you want to create civil discourse. Tim, I'm going to go back to you. Why another online publication? Did your investors not, not protest investing in this? I mean, it's not exactly civil discourse, let's say. It's not exactly the thing that gets you the highest ratings these days. I know you guys also have a print edition, so there is a mix, mixture of mediums. Well, very good question. So um, we... Uh, when I got involved with the company uh, uh, about three years ago, um, I think you know we we were looking for a broader purpose, and um, I think we you know really found it in terms of the, n not just being a software company um, and really being mission driven about how do we help the education community um, um, improve. Uh, how do we improve? Uh, outcomes for kids. And when we first started having this conversation, I think there was a, a, a bunch of people around the table who said, you know, hey, we're a software company. We, you know, we don't improve outcomes for kids. And so then we started to you know, kind of peel that onion back a little bit and say, well, wait a minute, you know, we, we put 300,000 substitutes into classrooms every day, um, which is kind of, you know, touch-free technology, which does that for districts. And uh, we improve, uh, you know, sub-fill rates. We uh, we support uh, professional development uh, programs for teachers. We have recruiting platforms to help districts identify the best talent and then uh, recruit the best talent into their district. So we do make a difference. And as we began that discussion, it pretty much snowballed. And it said, you know, we want to make an impact in education. We don't want to just be a software company. And our investors have been behind that um, fully. Um, and, you know, the, the line is not, uh, you know, an insignificant effort for us, um, but it's one that does make an impact in the community. I think it's being recognized uh, when we have folks like Randy Weingarten and Jeb, Governor Jeb Bush and, and uh, Arnie Duncan and others who, who participate in this conversation. It's starting to get a lot of attention that, that this really is a serious endeavor, and, 
you know, John has has led the charge for us here. I mean, we we are the the sponsor of this of this effort, but John has really um, you know poured an enormous effort and uh, and gotten a lot of people around the table to uh, to really help build what we have today. I'm going to jump in and direct this next question towards John, but first I'm going to play a short clip. This is a clip from you, John, about four years ago during a TED talk at Loyola Marymount University. I'm going to play this clip and I'll ask you a question. Great, thank you. We brought people together. What we said was that we're going to do this work quickly, we're going to do this work deliberately, and we're going to do this work based on the rights of students. And so there are lots of ways to think about doing this work in L.A. And there are lots of things to negotiate about how to do this work. But what we were not going to negotiate, and which we will not brook, is a violation of students' rights. So there can be only one belief system in working with 130,000 employees in LAUSD. And that is, there is nothing that can stand in the way of students achieving at high levels or graduating. College, workforce ready. Now, if you hold the belief that students who live in circumstances of poverty have one parent, have no parents, have both parents incarcerated, they themselves are a parent, do not eat, um, just because we feed our students three meals, most of them every single day, or they don't speak English yet. If those are reasons why a student actually can't graduate, what we say is you're perfectly entitled to that belief. You just can't work in L.A. I can't have you near our children. Now, John, you say your new publication, The Line, is for administrators. What would you have hoped the administrator in that clip, yourself, would have read about civil discourse four years ago? Um, I remember that very vividly, very emotional um, belief around the, the peril of the young people in greater Los Angeles. I would have hoped for a magazine that does exactly what The Line does um, now, and that was instead of um, looking at a position, looking at a situation and reporting on it by finding two extreme opinions um, and then having statements issued about why this position is right or this position is not right uh, so that the entire process is about uh, defending the position, um, which we see very frequently in the media, that we would have actually been able to sit closer to difference and find a venue where we can learn from each other uh, in a way that does not uh, take its base from just simply attacking the other, um, really trying to get closer uh, to difference um, through the tool of civil discourse. And it just has been something that I've not found um, generally or certainly in our sector and was very dedicated to trying to provide that. And that's one of the big differences about um, our publication and our work. Mm. And what is the most polarizing issue you've had so far? I know you've only had a second issue of coming out, but what's the most polarizing you, you think you've done so far? I think certainly um, we had a whole issue just recently dedicated to the, to the question, can you have great public schools and school choice? And mm -hmm. dealing with high-quality choice, certainly um, one doesn't need to do much of a uh, a media scan to realize that that's a very um, uh, heated uh, uh, dialogue across this country and has been for a long time. So we really tried to dig into that um, and had writers um, come close to each other in terms of trying to understand positions, um, such as the president of the NEA 
former governor of Florida, um, how actual superintendents themselves in very different situations have navigated this. It's another hallmark of the publication is that we want to learn by those who are actually leading in these very difficult situations and then be informed by policymakers and be informed by researchers. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm also kind of curious, I mean, because we have, uh, if you have Rick Hasney, you also have uh, Randy Weingarten and all these uh, people who are kind of on the opposite sides. Is there a goal that they will come somewhere in the middle or is it just that, because I can't even imagine that, not, not that it couldn't happen, but where, what would be the expectation out of the dialogue? <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. I, I don't think this is about creating a new world peace around the topic. But <laughs> on the other hand, I think on the other hand, um, the current vehicles for, um, I'll use the word engagement communication, aren't serving the need at all either. And so uh, can we have a clip? I'll just use the two people you mentioned, um, both of whom I've known a long time and, and have respected how hard they are working. Um, I can I have a clip, please, from Rick Hess, um, and then can I have, you know, a clip that, you know, says why Rick is wrong from Randy, and then a final clip from Rick saying why Randy doesn't get it. I mean, that uh, we've lost the opportunity to actually try to deeply understand something. And so if you just kind of scan at the first issue, um, uh, Checker Finn, who uh, might be considered, for example, a very uh, far-right thinker, and myself engaged in the act of writing letters to each other around a topic, um, which is an entirely different way of approaching difference. Mm. Now I want to ask you a little bit, pivoting a little bit to EdTech, since we are an EdTech publication. Um, what is your take on the state of education technology in schools? I know we have personalized learning and a bunch of other things going on. Why do you think that that's kind of become a pretty polarizing issue. Hey, hey John, why don't, why, don't, why don't you take on the polarizing part, and, and I'll take on the, the state of technology. Sure. Uh, um, as with all things, I think uh, personalized learning ed tech have become um, at the very fore of uh, conversation and opinion. And so why do I think it's polarizing? I think anything that could possibly um, enter as a disruptor to um, the sector's way of doing business is always seen with skepticism and concern, and healthy skepticism is very important. I think there might be, at least as I've witnessed, two to three things on the, quote, ed tech side that rise to the top of um, concerns. One is, uh, and I'm not saying that I either believe in these or they're right or wrong, they are just what I hear, mm -hmm. and one is very much around the issue that um, the very um, act of teaching um, as we know it with human teacher and student together um, is being um, adjusted and possibly replaced. And that is very difficult, I think, conversation to thread around that. Um, there's a real worry about the isolating effect as long as, along with the accelerating effect. So students can actually make more progress. Are they making that progress alone? And I think that mm. is a very big debate um, in this sector. Um, and thirdly, this is one that is, is uh, I would argue, is very true. Um, and that is as whole districts enter into um, really strong and thoughtful educational technology plans, the very material itself 
has such a um, relatively short um, lifespan um, mm-hmm. as a result of new versions and new uh, pieces of both hardware and software come out so frequently, it's not been like anything else we've seen. I mean, traditionally, a textbook lasted a while. Um, the mm-hmm. materials in the classroom were uh, lasted a while. These, uh, this notion of very rapid obsolescence is a huge fiscal issue as we think about it in districts. So I'll, I'll pause there. Mm. And John, just to follow up, do you think that's why you got a lot of pushback from the iPad uh, situation because of the the hard work cost and also the short term lifespan of hardware? I think the pushback was on a couple of areas. I think the cost less as um, as opposed to when you have a fixed budget, could you do something else with that money rather than um, lift all youth out of poverty by giving them the same technology that adults have. And so there's a lot of uh, stress over, hey, this money could have been used for raises or this money could have been used for other issues. It's all true. And um, I think that it goes back to the phrase I used at the beginning, that is students' rights to have what the very wealthiest have um, is something I, I find very important to, to live by. And Tim? The state of ed tech, in your opinion? Yeah, I think the state of ed tech is, um, you know, it's attracting more capital. Um, so there's, you know, uh, tremendous improvement. You know, our, our experience of frontline education is we we are not in the classroom, so it's it's uh, it's less of a uh, you know a kind of a hotly debated issue around um, you know what's the right way to teach and personalized learning and everything else that that can that John's mentioned, which can can you know create difference of opinion about, about how to use uh, capital and, and deploy it in technology in the classroom. So, you know, all of our technology really is a, around helping uh, administrators run their district, uh, mostly around people, the management of people, um, as well as workflow and process, but every, everything that's outside the classroom. And so we tend to, we tend to kind of be outside of the, the hot debates uh, about what's the best use of technology and um, our solutions are, you know, are, are, have already even been paved in the commercial sector. If you talk about human capital management technology, uh, which actually is something I did in the commercial sector for 20 years, um, mm. was was completely um, aghast um, when I was approached with this opportunity. When I saw that uh, that districts were so technology deficient uh, in managing their people and process in in, in school districts. And so it was kind of a no-brainer to jump in and, and help school districts really advance themselves pretty rapidly. Um, now, there still is an equity issue, I think, uh, even for what we do um, in that smaller districts, um, you know, tend to have, you know, less budget to work with for, uh, for technology. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've taken steps to try and ameliorate that. Um, but that's really the only equity issue that tends to pop up in the, in the world that we live in. Hmm. And just to wrap up, um, uh, Tim, I would like you to kind of give your 30-second spiel of what we can look forward to between your your partnership with the line. Um, and then, uh, John, I would also like you to kind of give your 30-second spiel about things that you're looking forward to. And then also, if you want to, I would love to hear um, if you have any plans to talk a little bit about your nonprofit work with incarcerated youth. That's a discussion that you hope to raise within uh, your platform as well. So, tell me so yeah, so um, 
you know, I, it, it's been such an exciting time uh, over the past uh, year plus that we've worked on the line. Um, absolutely thrilled with the, uh, the latest edition, which is focusing on school choice. And uh, we hope that we can just continue to make an impact. We're having civil discourse dinners across the country. Uh, we've just started these. Um, and, and our vision is that we can help bring I people together. I didn't get together. an invitation, Tim. Sorry? I didn't get an invitation. <laughs> ah, you are, you are definitely in the next civil discourse dinner, for sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, it's and, and, you know, the state of affairs in our country, it's, uh, it is so, just so divided, and we, we don't think it's fair to, to fight with each other when kids' kids' lives are literally at stake um, in front of us. And so, you know, if we can imp- make an impact to bring people together to solve problems, um, that's, that's what we hope to accomplish. Yeah, I'll also pick up and say that I think that having an online version with a very unique form of annotation rather than just posting comments, um, having uh, it print um, and also uh, publicly walking our own walk and engaging in these civil discourse dinners across communities um, should be something to look forward to continuing. I think of topics that really um, have my attention is I think the topic um, generally of the liberties that we uh, enjoy and the dilemma of leading um, when the liberty of one, the liberty of many might come into into conflict. I think a lot about um, uh, future issues and dealing with, um, I think, themes that deal uh, along the lines of the power and the potential conflict around the the kind of forces of identity, um, whether those be race or those be religion or those be gender or ethnicity, are always intersecting um, in and around our public schools. And they're very, very, very important and usually thorny issues mm-hmm. for leaders to manage through. Um, they, uh, just as schools even just watch society and how difficult those issues are um, for us, have been and continue to be even now, I think are issues that the line is going to absolutely wrestle with. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining us for the podcast. Um, I'm sure that in this time of heated, polarizing discussions, that the line is something that readers uh, will be interested in. And so I just want to thank you guys again for joining, and I look forward to seeing the next edition. Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, and, and listeners can go to thelinek12.com if they'd like to join the conversation. Mm